Well, hello there and welcome to Digging Deeper. We've got another episode for you and yeah. I am joined with Pete and Robert. Hello. Hello, hello. I'm <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> hey, guys. Wow, you're so excited. <laughs> welcome to Digging Deeper. <laughs> you guys are so excited. I I'm love so this. I'm so excited. Wow, this is awkward as it's possible. This is great. Yeah. yeah. The B-I-B-L-E. Hey, so. That's a book for me. Yesterday, Pete actually gave a pretty, pretty awesome message. I thought it was I great. And it was about how can we trust the Bible? Now, I want, before we get into any of these questions, which we have a good amount brought in from the uh, text to ask question number, but (laughs) before we get there, before the message we were talking and you were like, I am not excited to give this message, (laughs) but then it was like an incredible message. Like what was kind of going through your mind there? Um, And did you feel like the tide kind of turning as you were preaching it and and feeling like people receiving it? Uh, I am. I think anyone that does this any amount of time will uh, attest to this. You just never, never know. Like there are times that, and we've talked about this. There are times that I have prepared messages that in my head, I was like, this is going to bring the glory of the Lord. Revival is about to spread across the country. And people just stare at me and they're like, are you done yet? And then I'll have weeks where I'm like, this is just garbage. Why am I even doing this? And everyone's like, that was amazing. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, Yesterday felt uh, leading up to it, just so much information that I, I think in my head I was very scared that people would just kind of, their eyes would glaze over after like 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, so that was my biggest fear going into it. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess. Uh, Do you feel like there was a good reception? Do you feel like uh, as you were preaching it, you felt like a connection or that yeah. it was connecting with people? I think the oh, moment of honesty, I think I had to, I think I had to come to a place of not caring. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. and that was, that happened sometime <laughs> early Sunday morning, I think, which we all have to do that at really. Right. It's an important part of preaching when you get on stage and you're overly thinking about, you always need to be aware of your audience and thinking about how it's landing, but you can psych yourself out in this way of like being so worried about it. At some point you just have to be like, this is just do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a very a little bit of a, almost a, I don't know what you might call it, like sore spot or, or insecurity sometimes about being uh, pegged or labeled as, as like Bible answer the, man. The, the intellectual guy yes. who always gets the professor. The, yeah. yeah. And I was, I was actually behind the stage praying while the band was playing their last mm-hmm. song. And, and I found myself kind of like that was my prayer. Like, God, I don't want to be this guy all the time. Like this, this, I was looking at my notes. I'm like, these notes are just, I feel like I'm in a seminary class right now. And, um, and I, the, <laughs> I didn't plan on saying any of this, but I felt like the Holy spirit just kind of whispered to me, like you are who I created you to be. That's right. It's Go good. do it. Yeah. And it was almost like when he said that there was just a freedom of like, stop worrying about it. Yeah. I am who I am. You know, we have we have multiple different kinds of people who get yes. on stage, and this is who God made me to be. So I think I walked out with a bit more of like a, yeah, let's just do this. Yeah. So I mean, I think that you're equipped for it. And and what I loved about your message was that there's time when when you're you're giving a lot of information, not just you, but the person preaching is giving a lot of information to make a point. And there's moments where the information is the point. And I felt like yesterday was a message where the information was the answer to the difficult question that was a tripping hazard that was being discussed. And so it really not only 
yes, it helped that you're so equipped on this topic, but God actually, I think, also used your equipping, your intellectual ability and your ability to retain information and facts to equip the body and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So I thought it was, I was, I was stoked about it. I thought God really used you. Well, thank you. And I'm sure that the first five minutes of this podcast, people have enjoyed hearing everyone say how great I am. Pete, you're so great. Fantastic. But no, I do think it's good. interesting. Like it's so uncomfortable. I don't know past, I don't know past generations, right? I can't speak on behalf of them, but um, I do know that like currently where we stand in our cultural context, a lot of people hear little bites of information either on, t- on TikTok or on Instagram reels or YouTube shorts, or they listen to a 10 minute YouTube video about how the Bible's not reliable. Mm-hmm. And so before yeah. they even heard someone preach about the reliability of the Bible or the, uh, the certainty that we can have about the Bible, they hear someone else saying you can't. And a lot of times when the first time, the first thing that you hear about a thing is the thing that you naturally end up kind of believing until you like sticks with you. Yeah. So it sticks with you until you purposefully like deconstruct it or, or until you purposely look at why do I believe this? Why do I think that? So to have these subjects are super important for someone who's not going to seminary or someone who's not doing that because they're going to be hearing a one and a half minute TikTok about why the Bible's not reliable. And then that's just going to be constantly in the back of their mind. Like, so I think some questions. Yeah. And so I think that, um, that's super cool and important and, we'll use that to segue into these questions that people yeah. do have. Um, and I wanted to start the first one off. Um, two questions are very similar. So I'm going to re- read them back to back and then mm-hmm. you can answer them however you want. Um, I took a class at SDSU taught by a rabbi. He believed that many old Testament stories are fables to teach a moral lesson, creation, flood, etc. What do you think of that? So there's the first question. Another question from someone else. Should we interpret all the stories in the Bible? Literally. Some of the stories have amazing metaphor for how the world around us works. And I fear that some of that can be lost to people when they look at the Bible only as a history lesson without deeper meaning. Those are big questions. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Uh, They're definitely, I would say they're definitely connected adjacent to the topic of the Bible's trustworthiness because when, you know, and I, I kind of made a joke with you guys last week as I was prepping for this message I usually land in the six to seven page area and I was on page like 13 Oh my gosh! <laughs> and I had gone in a whole direction of like other reasons. Like what are all, I just, what are all the reasons you can't trust the Bible and let's talk through all of them. And then I knew wow. I was just going to have to cut it all down. Yeah. And a big part of it got, that got cut out was one reason of many that people struggle with trusting the Bible is not knowing how to properly read it can lead to just like, well, this is stupid. Well, actually like, you know, so someone's like, well, I can't trust the Bible because I don't really believe that a 10 headed dragon is going to come out of the ocean and with a, the whore of Babylon on its back or something, yeah. you know, it's like, well, actually that's not how you should be reading that book of revelation. So, um, I would obviously, you know, and it's a whole thing in itself. The second half of that question about should we interpret all stories in the Bible literally, um, I, I just want to be so precise, which I know is not like that sentence kind of concerns me mm. because stories in the Bible generally do come to us with a, with a heart or intent to tell something true about history. Parables don't and certain kinds of other writings don't. Yeah. Um, so 
using, uh, if the question was, should we interpret everything in the Bible literally? My answer is absolutely not. Of course not. I mean, nobody's, you like God doesn't have literal chicken wings. <laughs> you know, he's not a hen that we, you know, there are obviously yeah. metaphors and things. Stories in the Bible though, um, that aren't obviously parables tend to have more of a, this happened kind of thought absolutely. behind them. So if it's, if you're really getting into the story aspect of it, which the first question did mm-hmm. flood creation, things like that, that, that is a little more difficult thing to navigate. Um, There's also the element of like people like Genesis as a story has a way different like connotation and even like belief system around it than like first Samuel as a story. You know what I mean? Like, like a lot of people, they're way more quick to say Genesis is figurative um, versus like first Samuel being like in this, in the days of this person at this time with this person, this person did this like, um, so even like within Old Testament, because, you know, some, there's another one about um, the message seemed to focus more on the Old Testament or the New Testament versus the Old Testament. But like um, even within the Old Testament, there are parts where it's like, well, how literal is this? And then how literal is this? You yeah. know, and I would think uh, if somebody if I could really just get into the weeds with it, because I think people want the weeds in these questions. I can't think of any stories in the New Testament that are not meant to be taken literally that aren't actual parables. parables or like apocalyptic. Uh, um, yes. like, but I don't think apocalyptic is written as a story. Right. Okay. So, and that's, that's the thing. Like when you say a story, like the, the main stories we have in the go- in the new Testament, are the four gospels right. and the story elements of the four gospels are meant to be taken as historical. And we can get into another question about yeah, that right. as well. Um, the rest of the new Testament are mostly letters, teachings, explanations, ex- expositions, uh, and even Revelation is not a story per se. Um, when you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament tends to, it, it's almost like the different books have kind of coalesced into different sections. We often refer to them as the law and the prophets, but I think it even breaks down more than that. Um, you have the first part of the Old Testament leading all the way up to probably Nehemiah does come to us in a story or narrative form. And then everything beyond that looks more like prophets and things, but even the prophets have stories in them. So Jeremiah has prophecies, but then there's also little bits of, and then this happened and this happened. Um, so I think the, the first thing I would say is I would be very cautious of blanket statements like no, or yes. It's like, well, which book are we talking about? Mm -hmm. Which section of the book are we talking about? Right. And I would even say, and I've said this before, like I would apply the same standard to Genesis um, if someone says, do you take Genesis literally? My first response would be like, I don't like which part, which part? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. It's a huge book writ- probably put together by, I think it was probably written by more than one author and probably put together by more than one person. Um, so there are parts of Genesis that I think the style of writing lends itself more to poetry or analogy or metaphor. And then there are parts of it that I think whoever wrote it clearly wants the reader to believe this is history they're teaching me uh i mean especially for the jewish people the the entire story of abraham and his calling and his descendants were a huge part of their national identity and so they absolutely believed everything from chapter 12 on was real historical truth about their own national history so i think i would just say like yes there's definitely literal literal things and non-literal metaphorical things in the bible 
But I don't think it's as simple as just blanket statements. I think you have to look at each individual ones by themselves. I love John Walton's quote. You may have heard it, that the entire Bible is written for us all, but was not necessarily written to us all. And so considering even original audiences and context and things like that kind of helps us in interpreting and learning how to study the Bible and making sure that we understand that we're not taking, it's dangerous to take a story that is meant to be literal in history and then use it figuratively and then misapply it to our lives to come up with any type of solution we want. And then the opposite is true as well, to take um, a figure of speech in the Bible or something like that and then turn it into a literal prescription for your life in that as well. And so, I, I mean, I would So just I shouldn't pluck out my eye? No, I think that's literal. You should do that. Okay. So I'm sure. All right. No, no. <laughs> There's also things, even even literal things aren't necessarily meant to be applied. There's descriptive yeah, versus prescriptive. Yeah, there are things in the Bible yes. that just say they happened, but they don't. Like I've heard that said before. Like, well, if it's in the Bible, why are bad things in the Bible? It's like, because the Bible tells the story of bad people. Because yes. <laughs> humans are bad. Yes. Uh, there's all kinds of brokenness of and sin throughout the Bible. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean God wants you note. to do it. So, um, so yeah, I, I would say like, it's a hard question, but the, the, the quick answer is yes, we should always be looking for metaphors and not jumping to the conclusion that everything is literal. But when I also think like it's a good opportunity for uh, grace and like some, some open handedness, especially with other Christians and other believers here at rise city, yeah. man, I, I would say if you took five random people and put them in a room and you might have three or four different opinions about some passages, whether they're literal, not literal, how to read them. Especially creation flood type, yeah. type situations. That's, yes. that's okay. I, I think if you get into the areas of like, well, the whole story of Jesus was just a metaphor. <laughs> like, well, now you've lost me, yes. right? Um, we're not talking about ancient writings that have been, you know, we're talking like, hold on, like, no, the gospels come to us as history. So um, I would draw the line there for sure. Right. Good line. Um, speaking of the Gospels, this one just kind of seems like uh, a little personal to someone. Why aren't the Gospels written as first person? <laughs> I, I read that question. What, what, do you, what was your guys' thought about, maybe I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out what they meant by that, like written in the eye. Like, and then I saw Jesus go and heal. I think they're asking people. the question about and then I, eyewitness accounts. Yeah. But even like, like uh, even when... Uh, what the gospel of John, when it talks about how one disciple outran Peter, the disciple of Jesus loved. Yeah. And it's like, why wouldn't you just say you like, like, why is there this element of like, like, why didn't you just say I, why is it the disciple Jesus loved or John, or um, this is the account of Jesus. And there's no like real first person narrative involved in those. So the, okay. That is actually a really good question. <laughs> now, that, now that it makes sense of it. Gotcha. Um, the first time you see first person show up is in the book of Acts actually. So in Acts, you start to see the journey becomes, we did this, we did this. So the author, That's when that Luke started. Luke, yeah. he started to, so if Luke was comfortable using first person language in Acts, why wasn't he in the gospel, the gospel of Luke? Um, and I would give two answers to that that apply to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, which is number one, Luke wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So uh, Luke doesn't pretend to have been there. There's no like, uh, and that in yesterday's my message, I, in, I talked about how the most important criteria for a biblical book was authorship. And the issue wasn't, it was apostleship, but it wasn't just apostleship. It was apostleship 
or someone who knew and was commissioned and walked with. So um, because we see in Luke that he clearly traveled with Paul, knew Paul, he used the we language in Acts when they were moving, traveling together. The church believed that Luke was uh, an authoritative, trustworthy writer of the gospels. But Luke wasn't there and neither was Mark. So they wouldn't have used first person. Mm -hmm. Matthew is a little bit trickier. So um, the question of whether or not Matthew was written, the gospel according to Matthew, was it written by someone named Matthew who was a tax collector? We don't actually know that's true. Um, It doesn't say it was written by Matthew. We see that show up with an early church father named Papias in 110, somewhere around there. So you're talking about probably 40 years after it was written, somebody gave it the name Matthew. Um, and there's reasons why that could be. Uh, it looks like it was written from a Jewish perspective, um, but there's also reasons why it might not make sense for it to have been Matthew the text lector. Uh, so even just saying, you know, it's very possible that the, the gospel we call Matthew um, you know, was not written by the apostle Matthew, but by someone that knew him or walked them around the country like that. Uh, the other thing though is what are these books? And so this is a big question that people have talked about and wrestled with and argued about for a long time. Mm-hmm. The, the short answer is there's nothing directly to compare the gospels to in ancient, in the ancient world to say like, this is exactly what this is. So people will go back and forth. What is, and I, I, don't, I don't like the word consensus because it proves all agree. I would say there is a large, large portion of scholars, both Christians and non-Christians, who have come to the place of saying the best explanation for what the Gospels are, what they look like, are historical biographies. They look biographical. Now, what we see today as biographies is a little bit different. Um, and we might maybe give them limited questions, but historical biographies like Plutarch or others that wrote biographies about famous figures would never have written the first person. Mm-hmm. Um, even if Plutarch knew Julius Caesar or Mark Antony, he wasn't going to write their biography in his own eyes. It was about Mark Antony or yeah. whatever. So a biography was always written in more of a third person kind of approach. And it they really do look like Greek and Roman biographical books. And so in that way, um, it would have been odd to say first person, even mm-hmm. if they were there. John is another question though, because um, we're not even sure that John wrote John. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very possible, and even I might say plausible, that John had his own church community that he pastored and led for many years, and that you could kind of imagine like, uh, like let's just imagine that, that Robert is the apostle John and Robert forms a church. The one community that Jesus and, loved makes sense. And uh, <laughs> he's got 10 or 15 really like pastoral disciples that he's raised up over the years. He's constantly talking and teaching them and we're learning from him. And then uh, maybe as he's older or even when he passes away, we're like, man, we need to write down everything he said. Mm-hmm. So John's gospel looks like, the apostle John. It looks like his letters that we do right. think he wrote, yeah. first and second, third John, but it's possible that his church community wrote it. And the phrase, the apostle who Jesus loved was a 
if John wrote it, it has a little bit of a like, all right, dude, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, right. If John's followers who knew him and walked him were commissioned by him, then it would almost be an honorific. Right, this like person, John, that trained us, that taught us everything. He was we, faster than Peter. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, so uh, that's why, that's a, that's a very plausible reason why John may not be in the first person, even though yeah. all the information would have come directly from the Apostle John. We hear a lot about like oral tradition being passed down, like instead of being written down, being passed through oral tradition. Was that still happening during this time? Like, would it be like, because if you're saying an oral tradition, you wouldn't say, and then I did this. You'd always refer to the person who did it because this, you're probably three or four generations removed at a certain point. Like, is there some element of influence from oral tradition at that point? Or was that already potentially? So, um, well, there's two parts to that question. Um, if you're three generations yeah, removed, um, of course you're not going to use right. I. Yeah, if you're yeah. using I, you're lying. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, if uh, it's important to note that most of the New Testament, the letters are older than the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Uh, Revelation is probably later, but Paul's letters were probably all written before, like oh, Matthew yeah. was written. We think Paul's letters were done by the fifties. Matthew's probably late seventies, eighties. Um, because we can see that Peter was talking about Paul's letters when he's like, Hey, I know Paul's really hard to understand sometimes in his letters. Yeah. So we know that all those existed already. Yeah. And so letters are a different thing though. And that's why the new Testament is broken up into these two kinds of different things. Um, gospels were historical biographies. The epistles letters were just letters that mm-hmm. leaders wrote to churches. Um, you couldn't be everywhere at one time. You're traveling all the time. These apostles, so these apostles were writing letters to churches to teach, to instruct, to train in the early years of the church. Those were not oral traditions. Those were copied <laughs> letters, right. right? So when Paul wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus, it was copied and passed around. Um, the teachings of Jesus we believe were written down at some point by somebody. Um, and actually that's what Papias tells us uh, later. Papias actually said that Matthew wrote down the teachings of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was later assumed that that meant he was referring to the gospel of Matthew, but it's very possible that Matthew just had a bunch a of papyri of, written yeah. down of things Jesus said. And when Luke, I'm, I'm speculating here, but when Luke comes around and uh, you know, he's maybe a little bit later in life and here's, here's a likely scenario. Someone named Theophilus was probably a Greek Christian who was probably a rich, well-to-do person who said, hey, this stuff needs to get like written down. Mm-hmm. Luke, I know you traveled with Paul. You knew these guys. I want to pay you. Um, I, I want to upfront the money because it was expensive. And I want you to like just get every resource, talk to everybody, and just write a good, solid account of everything that happened. So Luke does that. He sits down. And he says, okay, here's exactly what happened. Um, I talked to all these people. I had, I looked at this, uh, the, the, the gospel that this guy Mark wrote. I have all these letters that, and things that this guy Peter, Matthew wrote down. I have all my experiences with Peter and Paul and he writes the gospel, but this is later. So he might've used whatever Matthew wrote and then whoever actually put Matthew together, or it might've been Matthew use each other. And so, yeah, they're all kind of, they're pulling from each other, but they are, Luke is then going and talking to all the people who are now in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. Like, hey, when you walked with Jesus, I heard he said this. You know, so oral tradition comes down, and then Luke and Mark and Matthew are putting it down into paper, and then later John would as well. Um, But so those books are definitely oral tradition comes down as passed over the years. 
but the, the epistles are more direct letters that were copied. Did I answer your question? Or did I just ramble? Yeah, Sorry. no, that was, absolutely yeah. answers okay. the question. Yeah. Anything there's, to add in there? Robert? Well, there's a second part to that question that I think yeah. is pertinent in that, but I, no, what that's pretty thorough. Right? So the second part, it's a different question, but why yeah. are there so many story discrepancies between oh, the gospels? Yeah. What would you say, Robert? Um, I would say that discrepancies, I think, are probably the wrong word. I think that there are some differences, but differences are not necessarily contradictions. Um, I think that that can be a mistake in that. I think there's a few reasons for it. And um, I mean, I have notes, but uh, (laughs) but I I have notes. But for one, I mean, I, I think they were all written from their gospel accounts that are written from different perspectives for different purposes. Um, I think we saw a great example of this in the office just the other day, actually, Pete, as I was talking about Pete looks at me and he goes, hey, you got some new shoes. And I start going off about this whole story about the whole experience that I had that led me to these new shoes that I got on clearance and blah, 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 all these different things. And he starts making fun of me because <laughs> of how complicated the story about how I got new shoes was. And for Pete, he was like, mine would have been much more abbreviated. And I, I think we see that in the, in the gospel accounts too. You know, some, some of the people, things that people would say, these are discrepancies. Some of them say like, you know, there's places in the, in Mark where they mention one person where the other gospels might mention two. Like for instance, um, in, in Matthew eight, there's two demon possessed men where in Mark it's, it's, it's in Mark five, it's only one. And in Matthew 20, there's two blind men and in Mark 10, there's only one. And so there's certain examples like that. Mark is an abbreviated gospel, uses that word immediately over and over and over again. And he doesn't say that there's, there's only one. He, he just simply focuses on one because he's abbreviating those types of things as well. So there's, I mean, I could go through a lot of different reasons, but um, the, the truth is, is that all of the so-called discrepancies, they all have great explanations that I think continue to keep the integrity and validity of the gospel accounts um, intact as well. Anything that you guys want to add on that as well? I mean, I'm only sharing a little bit of it, but yeah, no, that's what I think. Um, it's a fun conversation yeah. and, uh, um, I don't know. I think, uh, well, my, my brain wants to like process this a bit more <laughs> probably. So sometimes my kids ask me questions about the world that, my 44 year old brain has spent a lot of time thinking about wrestling through um, seeing other angles and coming to places that I'm comfortable with or whatever. And then my seven year old asked me a question and I'm like, I don't want to just give you this like quick try answer that you're going to hold and 20 years later be like, you didn't, what, what?" you know, (laughs) that's Um, true. Like there's so much behind the scenes. And I also don't want sometimes to say things to my children that might spin them out because they're not quite ready to hear or deal with it. So here's one thing I would say. I, and this is kind of up for debate. I actually don't think all the discrepancies in the gospels are explainable. Oh, I don't. Um, In the sense of, well, um, in the sense, I think that John disagrees with the synoptic gospels about the day Jesus died. I, I think they literally disagree. I don't think you can explain okay. it. People have tried to explain it away. I don't think you can. Gotcha. Um, the Gospels would seem to suggest that Jesus died the day before Passover and the ate the Passover with his disciples. 
John wants to tell us that Jesus was the Passover lamb and he was crucified on Passover. So the meal they ate the night before wasn't the Passover meal, it was something else. Um, people have tried very hard to reconcile that. And I, I've read scholars who've tried to like, you just really can't do it. You come to this place of saying, I think one of either John or the other three, uh, something's happening here. Right. Now, what I'm comfortable saying, and this is, this is you know, we're on a podcast here, so go on the internet. I'll try to say this well. Okay. One thing I would say is this. You hinted at it. All four of the gospel authors had an agenda. Yeah. And when I say agenda, that word, that word kind of riles us a little bit right. because immediately we're like, oh, they're trying to deceive us. I mean, no. purpose for writing is might be a like, well, yeah. So you, you, I want to tell the story of Jesus, but there's something specific I'm wanting to tell you. Yes. And I would, in a very quick overview, and I, I'm actually, here's a plug. Hmm. I'm going to be soon releasing a, a whole like 20 part short video series, walking through the background of each of the new Testament books. And I do this about nice. the four gospels. Right. Um, one thing that we can see is Mark was writing likely to a very specific group of people who were probably Gentile Christians living under persecution in Rome. Whereas Matthew was probably writing more to Jewish Christians or Jewish people who yeah. were struggling with whether or not, like, did we make a mistake here? The temple's been destroyed. Everything's falling apart. All of my Jewish family members hate me. Like, was Jesus the Messiah? And so when you read Mark's gospel, there's this focus, there's this intention on he fulfilled prophecy. Again, again, he is the Messiah. Mm -hmm. When you read Mark's gospel, it's the same story, but it's like there's all these different things, different perspectives, if we're saying it. It's probably because Mark was writing to Christians who were under heavy persecution and didn't care about fulfilling prophecy. Like that wasn't their world. They just wanted to know, is this worth dying for? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and his thing was like, actually, Jesus died. <laughs> Jesus was the suffering servant. So, so much of Mark's focus is on the suffering of Jesus and not on fulfilling prophecy and different yeah. things like that. John is probably happening later. John's probably 20, 30 years later. Different uh, ideas, Gnosticism, other things we would later call heresy are now starting to meld into the church. And so much of John seems to want to be battling for the truth. What is the truth Most of ideas? theological book, yeah. So there's these different perspectives. And here's the thing about John. And John... John is a fun, fun book. <laughs> it looks on the surface like John doesn't care about what we would call chronology, mm -hmm. time order. Right. It looks like John is comfortable just taking all the different stories and putting them in the way that he wants to put them in it in order to tell something. So John looks like it, 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 you, the, the whole first section of John happens over six days. And then on the seventh day, there's a wedding feast. And then you have events that happen over six festivals. And then you have the final Passover and Jesus is the Passover lamb. So there are many scholars who believe that John probably knew, and again, I use the word probably, we don't, we don't know. It's very, it's, it's possible that John knew that Jesus actually died the day before Passover but because of his theological positioning of wanting to show and demonstrate how Jesus is the one who takes away our sins, it's, 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 it's sort of like this, almost like not, not changing the facts in the sense of like lying, but trying to communicate this idea of Jesus is the Lamb of God. Um, it's also possible that Jesus did die on Passover and the Synoptic Gospels had a reason for maybe changing that. We don't know, but they all had their own bent. And so oftentimes when we look at the 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 
what I would say, like, not like dumb, small, like spelling differences or things, which can be attributed to the fact that most of this was spoken in Aramaic and they're all interpreting Greek. Yeah. Um, the things that almost seem like bigger, like, wow, that seems significantly different. Um, in Mark, there's a story, and this is, I have my students do it. You remember this? Yes. You're one of my students. Um, <laughs> I have been one of I, my students. Mark tells us this is great story about the disciples going out into the water in a boat and a storm coming up and Jesus walking on the water and coming out to them. And at the end of it, they, he gets in the boat and they're just terrified and they're like, it's a ghost. And they're like, calm down, calm down. You're like, okay, cool. But then you read Matthew, who probably had Mark's gospel mm -hmm. when he wrote his own gospel. Matthew's like, yep, they're out in the sea, wind comes, and Jesus walks on the water. They're all scared. Peter says, Jesus, if it's you, let me. Peter walks on the water, and Matthew doesn't say anything about that. <laughs> like, what? Why not? And then they get in the boat, and it says the disciples worshiped him. Right. Which is a very different yeah. response, right? And so, which one was it? Well, in my opinion, and I'm just giving an opinion, I think it's yeah. very possible that Mark probably was the more accurate depiction of that. They probably were freaked out, but Matthew is writing this book in, you know, 40 or 50 years after Jesus to these people who were wrestling with, is this actually the Messiah? Is this the person we should be following? And Mark, Matthew's like, look, the disciples, it took them a while, but they got it. They saw he was, they were, you know, like Peter got out of the boat and they worshiped Jesus. Like, so there's this focus in Matthew to like really get across this point that Jesus is the Messiah. He yeah. is the one you should be worshiping because, and here's, I'm, I'm rambling, no, but good. by the time that Matthew was written, okay, so I'm a Jewish person raised in a Jewish home. My grandparents, my great-grandparents, for a millennia, I've been part of a Jewish tradition who believed there was one God and you will worship no other God but Yahweh. That was the most important command. And I have been converted. I've been convinced that I want this Christian thing is real. And you're telling me, Jesus is God and I'm supposed to worship him. And I go home for dinner and they're like, you heretic, you're worshiping another God. Get out of our house. Literally, like yeah, you, yeah. I would get kicked out of my house. My family would disown me. Should I be worshiping this Jesus? And Matthew's like, yes, you should. And so there's this intentional focus of trying to get us to see that side of the story. And so it's like, does that mean one is lying and one is telling the truth? I think that's the wrong way to look at it. It's about what are they focusing? What are they emphasizing? What part of the story are they trying to bring to the surface? And so if you approach it as a 21st century scientifically minded thinker who says, if it's if there's a discrepancy, you're lying. That's not how they wrote in the ancient world. Yeah. That's not how they thought about it. Um, they, they, they didn't consider it lying or telling the truth to like bring certain things out of the stories or focus on certain things. Uh, and so I would say that's like even reordering the time order wasn't lying. Right. Uh, I use an example in my class where I talk about um, if you wanted to tell a history of Abraham Lincoln, like his biography, you would probably start when he was born and you'd go all the way up point by point until he dies. Good. What if you wanted to write a book about leadership? There's a book about that. Lincoln on leadership. <laughs> well, but you wanted to use Abraham Lincoln as an example of leadership. Yeah. You might say, I'm going to write a book about leadership and I'm going to have five chapters. And one of the chapters is telling the truth. Here's three different times that Abraham Lincoln told the truth. Another example is I'm going to, about bravery. Right. Here's times in Abraham Lincoln's life when it's he had to be example. brave and fight. Yeah. It wouldn't, like he, you would take all these different things from Abraham Lincoln's life and move them all around in order to, well, that's how the gospels approached it. Mm -hmm. Luke seems to be the one that said, no, I'm going to start from the beginning and go to the end. But the other three seem more like, like John's like, I want to talk about the truth of Jesus, the Messiah. So I'm going to talk about this and this, and I'm going to move yes, this around. Yeah. Like, he, yeah. he wasn't as interested. And so right. if you know that about John, and then you read it and compare it to Luke, and you're like, whoa, what's going on here? You're like, well, because one is more 
preaching a sermon and the other is trying to give more of a historical document. Um, yeah, that was great. No, yeah, no, that's good. Thank you so much. Looking at me like I need to. Yeah. No, not at all. He's not. He's just in his own so world. So I have a question, um, <clears throat> and it kind of coincides with someone else's question. But if we were to just sit and read the Bible we have without any outside help resources, um, it seems as if there's a big chunk of information that we're missing as far as context and how to read it. Right. Like if someone all, all they had in the Bible and they were to read through it, like they wouldn't know about um, the way that typical Jewish people wrote biographies or stories. They wouldn't know about um, the culture surrounding and, and Luke being hired by, well, they might know that because it says it, but like what does a person who is not a fully paid pastor um, need to do to learn more about the context of the Bible that they are basing their life off of like is there resources that they can go to you know what i mean like so instead of constantly worrying that oh i'm sure i have the wrong answer here and i can never really be confident because i'm not a full-time student of this like are there resources people can go to which kind of goes into another question of do you have a book you'd recommend to understand the council of nicaea and the compilation of the bible but more of the idea of like what resources are there out there that we uh, or that people who are listening, who are not full-time pastors on staff, who you know, who get to know this, um, that you would recommend? Well, I'll take this in a very different direction than I think you're intending me to, but that's okay. Um, I love the Bible. Uh, it is my source of truth in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but a couple things. Number one, the idea that I can pick up a Bible and read it for myself is, I mean very small on the timeline right. of human history. Yeah, within the last 500 years. I, w- even I mean, I would say the last probably 200 years yeah. even. I mean, yeah, we had the printing press come up in the 1500s, right. but that didn't mean everyone had books, right. much less could even read. The idea that all kids go to school and re- learn to read is very new for human history. So you had, th- I don't know, 16, 1700 years of human history where Christians... Uh, didn't just sit and read the Bible for themselves. Right um, now, as I t- talked about in my church history class last year, that also led to something we now call the Dark Ages. Right, yeah. um, <laughs> that can be. But abused. but here's the thing. Okay, let's talk about balance. If you go back to when all of this kind of started, it, you know, we usually pinpoint roughly Martin Luther, the the Reformation of the Church, and what came out of the Reformation. Um, was that many things came out of the Reformation, but one of them was a, how do I say this in a way it doesn't sound bad? Um, let's call it an exaltation of the Bible. Um, and there's good and maybe even some problems with that. But it was for Martin Luther, he was arguing against this church structure that had become corrupt and broken and was doing things that didn't even align with the scriptures. And Martin Luther was like, the Bible is the ultimate authority. Right. You and I, as Protestants, protesters, we're, we're, we're descendants of the protest, hear that statement, and it's like, well, of course. It's like, it's like air, of course. Right. It's just true. Yeah. It wasn't just, of course, when he was living. And mm-hmm. people argued with him. They said, no, right. no, it's not just the Bible. It's also the authority of the church and the apostolic tradition that's been passed down through it for 1,500 years. Um, there's and, and you can go back and read... You know, we always, because we're on this side of it, 
like that, that's our team, you know, just like the American revolution, everything was good about it. Cause we're Americans. <laughs> like there were well-intentioned Catholic church leaders who made really good points against Luther mm-hmm. said, if you throw out the authority of the church, the community of people within which we're supposed to read these scriptures and teach them, you're just going to create a free for all. Mm-hmm. Guess what happened <laughs> within Martin Luther's life? Like 150,000 people were killed in religious wars over what the Bible meant. Yeah. And within 200 years, you had not one church, but millions yeah, splinters. Yeah. And you had yeah. sects and groups and cults and heresies. Yeah. Like, so the, the benefit of the reformation was that there were serious problems with the church at the time, like real heresies and untruths and sin had woven its way into the church leadership and it needed to be fixed. But one of the problems is this American spirit, which started there of independence and it's just me, I'm by myself, I don't need anybody else. Christianity is me and Jesus, I don't need the church. Like. It was an anti-authoritarian movement mm-hmm. because the authority of the time was corrupt. Right. So when you're under an author- a corrupt authority, everything inside of you says, I need to rebel against that. Well, the problem is we're still living in that. Mm-hmm. And we reject all authority. We we don't want anyone to tell us what to do. Well, here's the deal. Like, And I'm, I'm coming from a position of power. I know that. But I'm also telling what I think is the truth in my head. I don't believe that God intended Christians to read the Bible by themselves. Mm-hmm. Like that that isolationist individualist mentality is not healthy. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you weren't given the Bible to go off alone by yourself on an island and live Christianity by yourself. Right. Christianity doesn't work by itself. No. And you're not meant to grow and learn and read these scriptures by yourself. You're meant to do it in a community. And one of the questions that came in this week was all about why right. be a part of a church. Well, yeah. part of being in a community is you don't have to have a PhD right. in ancient languages. Like it's not the way that God intended things to function. Hmm. He said, I'm going to have a few people go get PhDs in ancient languages. Right. I'm going to have a few people, you know, spend all their time learning this thing and spending all the time learning this. And, and building, we're all going to come together. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to come yeah. together. And the things that I don't know about that I'm not good at, I'm going to let you pour into me the things that I can do that you can't do. And we're going to be a body that works yes. together. And so this, when I hear people say like, well, I, I, you know, what can I do to know the Bible better, to learn it better? I, and I'm like, that's a, such an awesome question. And there are tons of resources. Um, I mean, just like, you've got a pile right there. Uh, John Walton, read John Walton. Um, but part of it is like, look, like, and I, I, I know Brandon was here. He'd probably, I don't know how you feel where he'd go with this, but <laughs> like I and, and, and Robert and especially Brandon spend time every single week of our yeah. lives thinking through these things in order to get up on a Sunday and help explain them to people so they can understand the Bible. And better. we don't do that alone. We look at a ton of resources. Sure, sure. We listen to a bunch of other scholars, other scholars and people who do that it, have yeah. studied for way more years than we have and yeah. have more understanding and insight. And, and then you take some of yeah. it and you create content for us to get into small groups yes. throughout the week and talk about it in a group. <laughs> yeah. And we offer videos and po- we, we do a podcast every Monday yeah. that we help talk through these things that you can listen to. Like right. resources, the church yeah. is the resource. The church is the primary resource. You were meant to read the scriptures and study them in a community of people. It's a great insight. That's a great answer. Yeah. And I would say like, I, 
individualist Christianity is just a sin. It's brokenness. It's not Christianity. But it's the air we breathe. Like it's it's yeah. it's as American I don't as need the yeah. church. I got my yeah. Bible in Jesus right. and, and you too. Like it's yeah. Like the, my question was assuming the like you took my question and then looked at the assumption it was based on yeah. was I should be reading my Bible by myself. How do I get more resources? And you're saying you shouldn't be reading the Bible by yourself. You should be reading it in a community. Yeah. And yeah. even like I, I'm a firm believer in this. And you guys, those of you that know me know this, like the power of the Holy Spirit is amazing. Yeah. The power of God to speak to us directly. Sometimes I open my Bible and I read things and the Holy Spirit speaks to me. And I know, my brain knows, that's not what that verse is about. And right. yet God in that moment is communicating something he wants to communicate to me. And so I'm not saying that you shouldn't read the Bible by yourself. I'm not saying that God can't reveal things to you. Um, I think there's a place for that. However, I am somebody that, and I've said this before in this podcast, so much of my life and my big decisions have come from hearing God speak. I have misheard God thousands of times. Right. Like I have done and thought things that I thought were God that later I realized weren't. Yeah. It is so important that I am grounded in a Christian community, Good. that I have other people around me who also have the Holy Spirit, who've also, who are also reading the scriptures, who've also studied it, that I can be like, hey, I'm kind of thinking this. What do you guys think? No, yeah. no, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> when you isolate yourself and try to do it by yourself, I mean, that's what Joseph Smith did, right? right. He went off by himself. Amongst He's like, others. I need to get my yeah. own revelation of what the Bible means. An angel appears to him and says, this is the truth. And you start an entire new religion. Like it, there's so much danger in leaving community. Yes. The Holy spirit can speak to you. Yes. There's, it's so important to be reading the Bible on your own and, and spending time in it and learning it, but doing it in a community where you're accountable to others, where we look back and Hey, over 2000 years, this is how the church. And the, when I say the church, like millions and millions of Christians have saw this and read it and applied it to their lives. Are you aligned with that? And that was my fourth point yesterday. Like the who, the the what, the when, but also the where. Yeah. Is it universal? Is everybody reading this? Does everybody think that that's that you know Jesus is actually this like a literal begotten son who is the brother of Satan and right. you're going to get a planet one day when you die? Does, do all Christians read the Bible that way? No. Maybe yeah. there's something wrong. Well, yeah. So mm. being in community is so important. Wow. Yeah. Great insight. That was great. That was a great. Thank you for answering that. You're welcome, John. <laughs> I get I get paid Thank to answer you. it though, so I don't know. Should you should you receive thanks when you get paid to do something? I had that question this morning. Uh, this is a completely unrelated question. Are you a hero if you're doing your job? You can have a, her- you can have a heroic job. You can have a heroic I job. Mean, well, I was thinking about like it was a dumb question. But we were talking. Yeah. We were driving. We saw some uh, firemen, and, and I, I was like, those, I was like, I was like, those are heroes, guys. Those are real heroes. And I was like, yeah, they also get paid. And they're like, no, no, they're heroic. Yeah, right. Even if you get paid, you're going to a burning building. Yes. You're, you're a freaking right. yeah, hero. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's kind of like the days now where it's like you go to McDonald's or whatever, and this is a bad example for McDonald's, but you go there and then you have a machine to leave a tip. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, like, no, it, no, no. Oh man. Now the value started. bases are coming yeah, out to everyone's uh, ears. So <laughs> it's just brutally murdered for ringing up my McDonald's order. Yeah. Oh exactly. man. I'm not going to lie. Uh, there's, there's a guilt factor that always makes me go. Nope. All right. Nope. Here's, here's 15. I, I know. No I'm, yeah. I have no tip. If I feel I bad around and show them I'm pushing no tip. <laughs> Right. I'll try to like hit the like no receipt, no receipt, no receipt, so that they can't see they, they that can't I didn't. Well, the people at the donut place uh, who I love and they have amazing donuts, and the guy rings me up for a dollar a donut. I give my kid like you're only 
leave a tip? I'm like, for what? <laughs> Bro, you get paid to do this. Why would I leave you a tip? Oh, man. That's a whole uh, different conversation. Uh, yes. Off the rails. Yeah. So. Anyway, well, thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. Yeah. We've, uh, Robert speaking this week. And if you want to leave a tip for your rice, <laughs> yes, <laughs> please don't. Um, just my Venmo is, no, no. Soon, I'll the, make sure they get it. Uh, the tips will be like, you needed to do this better. And do that. <laughs> I got some tips yeah, you guys, for you. We, we already get, you guys get yeah. tips every week. We don't want any more of those tips. Well, like I said, Robert speaking next week. We're really excited for that message. What are you talking on? Talking about, is Jesus really the only way to God? Ooh, yes. Kind of going yeah. through that tripping deal. hazard. Not yeah. A, yeah, yeah. Not a big deal. Yeah. So uh, we hope you guys join us for that, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we'll see you next time. See you guys. See y'all.